0: Good morning. This message is brought to you by First Baptist Church of Clearfield, located at 111 North 2nd Street. To hear this and other messages, please go to the church website at fbcclearfield.com. Pastor Matt Brown and his congregation invite you to worship the Lord with them Sunday mornings at 1045. Here's Pastor Matt. All right, you can take your Bibles this morning and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we'll be in verses 20 to 26 as we Finish out the book or the chapter of Second Timothy, chapter two, this morning. at Second Timothy two, twenty to twenty-six. There's a story of a young name young man at the time named Henry Martin, and he was a Cambridge University student, and he was honored at only twenty years of age for his achievements in mathematics. In fact, he was given the highest recognition possible in the field, and yet he felt this emptiness inside of him. And he said instead of finding fulfillment in his achievements, he only grasped a shadow. And after evaluating his life's goals, Martin sailed to India as a missionary at the age of 24. And when he arrived, he he prayed, Lord, let me burn out for you. In the next seven years that preceded his death, he translated the New Testament into three difficult Eastern languages. Do you want to be used by God? Do you want to make an impact on the world for Christ? Do you want God to use you in good and beautiful ways, wonderful ways? I sure hope so, because there's nothing like being an instrument in the Redeemer's hands. But the question is, who does God use? I think we go to one of two extremes when we think about who God uses. And the one extreme is that we think that God only uses the elite group of people and, and other people are barred from entering it, never to be included. But does God only use the, the most outgoing and the most naturally gifted? Does God only use the, the seminary trained or the Bible college trained person? Does He only use the perfect person, which there are none? Does he use the self-sufficient go-getters? No, but what we find this morning is that God can use any Christian in his work. So it's not some secret society, right? There's no secret society and only those with an invitation and the password can enter and can be used by God. And so the one extreme is thinking that an elite group is only used by God and no one else is is allowed to enter. But the other extreme is to think that, hey, God is going to use me no matter what, so I can just live how I want. It doesn't matter how I live, God will just use me. That, likewise, is an incorrect way to think. But because what we find this morning is that the Lord uses those who are cleansed vessels... Now, at first, that's confusing, but when you see our passage, it will make sense. The Lord uses those who are cleansed vessels. As we think about Paul as talking to Timothy here, he has been really encouraging him on on faithful service, and what he's done is he's used different images to get his point of cross. And so, if you remember, he uh, talked about how um, Timothy should be a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer, so he should be... Uh, focused and disciplined and hardworking. He's to be a good worker who is unashamed. We found that last week. And now Paul gives another image of what Timothy should strive to be. He should be a vessel for honorable use. Just in verse 19, what we ended up last week, uh, Paul was talking about uh, the church as God's house, how it has this firm foundation. And now he sort of continues that house imagery. Look there in verse 20. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace So Paul starts out here, and he gives that illustration. So it's this illustration of a great house, sort of a wealthy house, a master of the house, and then his vessels. And so the great house would be referring to the church. The master of the house, of course, is Christ, and the vessels are those within the church. And so as you take them one by one, you think about a great house. It was uh, this illustration of a wealthy house, um, and isn't that a great image of the church? Meaning it is God's house. It is uh, God's. It is, he owns it and He has built it. Right? It was uh, purchased at great cost. Jesus Christ shedding His blood for those in the church. It's great also because believers from all around the world are included in it. Christ is the master of the house. And so what that means is that he has rights over and ownership of the house itself and all that is within the house, meaning we are merely his vessels in his house. And so meaning we don't call the shots, right? He is the master of the house. He uses us as vessels as he deems best. So much of our problem is that we uh, switch the roles, don't we? So often we... Um, don't see Christ as the master of the house and we as mere humble vessels. souls. But we must remember that we are a part of something big and important, right? This is God's house. And He's doing this grand work. He is the master. We get to play a small part in His grand work in the world. That is a privilege and honor. It's a great joy to be used by the master But let me ask you this. Do you even want to be used? Do you want to be used? He's your Lord and He died for you. He called you to live for Him. And so we should all say in our hearts, I want to be used by God. I want to be used by Him. As John Stott says, no higher honor could be imagined than to be an instrument in the hand of Jesus Christ. To be at His disposal for the furtherance of His purposes. To be available whenever wanted for His service let me go back to the question, who are the ones that God uses? That's where the illustration comes in, doesn't it? The house of the master of the vessels. And so Paul talks about these two uh, categories of vessels. And what he's saying is, hey, there's vessels for honorable use. There's vessels for dishonorable use. You see, in a wealthy home at that time as they were more expensive vessels, and they were used more so in the public, the scene areas of a home. And so uh, they were beautiful, and they were clean, and so you think about like a decoration pot or a plate or something like that. But on the contrast, there was also these other vessels that were inexpensive, and um, they were sort of uh, not used as much, right? They were maybe for waste or for trash, and so the vessels for honorable use were useful for good purposes. The vessels for dishonorable use were sort of dis- disregarded in some sense because they could easily break and, and the master of the house wouldn't really care. They weren't as useful, right? They, they could break easier. And so what Paul is doing is he's making this contrast that in God's house, there are these vessels who are useful to him. They are clean and while there are other ones that are not as useful, they're not really set apart for these beautiful, wonderful purposes. And so there are people in the church that are like vessels of honorable use and others who are vessels for dishonorable use. So the ones for honorable use are fit for the master's use. The dishonorable are not. Think about a dirty bowl. It's not really as useful as much as a clean bowl, is it? Unless you clean it, of course. But you think about a clean bowl, what is it useful for? Hey, I can use it for decoration. I can use it to serve. I can use it to eat. Right? All of these, these are useful to the owner. Right? And that's really what Paul is talking about. I think back to my own personal life. I think about to my teenage years. And many of you may not know this, but during my teenage years, I was really apathetic about the things of the Lord. I wasn't really like pursuing Him as I what ought to be pursuing on Him. I was focused on myself. I was concerned with the things of this world rather than the things of the Lord. And, you, and I think back to my teenage years in that moment, in, those, in that time period, and I could definitively say, as I look back now, I was not as useful to the Christ... As I could have been. And you think about why. Well I wasn't ready for every good work. was I, I wasn't ready to encourage someone. With the truth. Because I, how could I. When I wasn't dwelling on the truth myself. How could I serve others more. If I, if I was only caring about serving myself. How could I impact others. If I'm caught in sin. If I was caught in sin. And focused on the things of this world. You see, sin hinders our ability to be used by God. It hinders our ability to be prepared for service. We aren't as useful as we could be. And so that's why Paul says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, what's the result? He will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So in order to be fit for the master's use, ready for any and every good work, we have to cleanse ourselves from, in this context, probably false teaching and and sin and godliness. Timothy couldn't act like the false teachers and expect to be used mightily by God. Right? Think about this. Timothy couldn't be quarreling and pursuing sinful things and expect to be used more. Some of you may be sitting here this morning and you're thinking, why doesn't God use me more? And let me ask you, well, are you pursuing godliness? Are you putting sin to death? Are you fleeing away from sin? It is the one who is cleansed, who is what? Set apart for the Lord, meaning he sets you apart for these good, beautiful purposes. You are useful to him. He thinks, yes, this is Somebody that I can use for that task or for that task. Because they are, they are ready. They are ready for every good work. They are ready to step up and serve. They are ready to encourage with truth. What happens is we become available for His use. We become effective, uh, prepared to do anything He calls you to do. I think back again to my teenage years, and I could not say, as I look back there, I could not say I was prepared to do every good work. I wasn't prepared. I wasn't available. I, wasn't, I couldn't be effective. I was too focused on myself. I wasn't pursuing the best thing. And so you can't just think, oh, I'll be ready when the time comes. I'll be ready to be used by God when the time comes. I don't really need to do too much to be prepared. No, you must be putting sin to death, pursuing righteousness now it's when we are pursuing godliness that we're actually become more ready more prepared for for whatever god has for us this pastor stephen cole gives some good examples he says this have you ever been angry when suddenly you have an opportunity to bear witness for christ you weren't prepared were you or have you ever been grumbling about something when you encountered a brother or sister he needed a word of encouragement You probably didn't even notice the need, let alone respond appropriately. But if you're cleansed, you're ready to serve the Lord in any good work that He sets before you. And you see, this isn't a reality closed off to some special group, right? It's simply, hey, if you cleanse yourself of what is dishonorable, you're able to be used more by God. Now, this cleansing is not work salvation, of course. It's not like we're Forgiving ourselves our sin and because really Christ forgives us of our sin and He's the only way to be forgiven. But rather it's this cleansing that happens is when we turn away and, and flee from sin and then pursue godliness. We're pursuing holiness. This is not legalism. We're not trying to gain the favor of God. We have it in Christ. But it's the simple response of obedience and love because of God's grace towards us in Christ. Those who have experienced the graces of God in their heart, they want to be used by God. They want to be uh, seeking and pursuing holiness. And they, of course, depend on Christ's strength to do this. Remember back in the, the first verse of this chapter, that which really uh, helps us view this whole chapter, is be strengthened by the, the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We need Christ's strength to do this any of these things a soldier or farmer or athlete or even a vessel for for honorable use now some of you may think i failed god can't use me maybe that's you this morning but i want you to just think about some examples in the scripture david he failed didn't he <laughs> Right? He committed adultery. He murdered someone. And David could have, could have thought, I'm useless. I mean, I committed adultery and I murdered someone. I'm useless. And what does he do? He repents of his sin. He pursues the heart of God. God uses him greatly. John Mark. You remember uh, Paul considered John Mark useless back in Acts. But what happens here actually in this book later on, Paul tells Timothy to bring Mark, listen to this, for he is very useful, same word in Greek, to me for ministry. He's very useful. Your past doesn't disqualify you for ministry now. What matters is, what are you going to do now? God can use you no matter what shameful past you have, and I think we should—we could all say, I've had a shameful past if we just think about some of our sins, but our shameful past doesn't disqualify us for God to use us in impactful ways now or in the future. Are you going to be sloshing around in sin though or are you going to be pursuing holiness? And I, I pray that each of us would want to be used by God in good and beautiful and, and wonderful ways and His purposes and And we should want to be someone that the Lord can say, you know what, I can use him right now. He is ready for every good work. No matter what I bring to the table, he is ready. Or she is useful to me right now. She's available. She can minister to this person or this person. She's ready. Because if you think about it this way, if we are addicted to something, if we are addicted to pornography, how can we prepare to help someone with their own addiction? If we are constantly quarreling with people, day in and day out, how can we help people have peaceful relationships? We can't. And we're not going to be ready for every good work, no matter what comes our way. And so we pursue holiness, we put sin to death, knowing that, hey, Christ wants to use me, He wants to use us. And that's humbling, that's astonishing. And this won't be perfect, right? This isn't sinless perfection. None of us can get there this side of heaven. But this is simply someone who is in the strength of God. I am going to pursue what's right. I am going to pursue godliness. And some of you could be used so much more for the Lord. And I want that for you. I want that for myself. I'm sure there's ways I could be used more. And there's a joy that comes from being used by God. There is a sort of a fulfillment and satisfaction when God uses us. And so Paul has given Timothy the call to be a cleansed vessel for the Lord. But as he continues, 22 to 26, he shows us what this cleansing looks like, what it looks like. And he sort of explains further. But I want you to imagine that you go to make a meal that you never made before. And so you get the recipe, and it has all the ingredients that you need to make the meal. But then, you know, when it goes to the step-by-step instructions of, like, what to do next and everything, all that it said was, make the meal. That's all it said. And you're thinking, well, what, what, what do I do? How do? What's the steps, right? I have the ingredients, but, like, do I do this first, or I just put it all together? Like, what do I do? That would be frustrating to be hard. Well, thankfully here, Paul doesn't do that to Timothy or us. He gives us the list of items and he gives us the instructions on how to make it, so to say. He shows us what it looks like to cleanse ourselves from what is dishonorable. Look in verse 22. So right after he tells us that, he says, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. So you see, there's something that Timothy must flee, and there's something that Timothy must must pursue. He is to flee youthful passions. Passions here are are sinful desires that rise up in us, right? Our longings that are wrong, our cravings that we often have. And for Timothy, he was a younger man, and so Paul knows that for Timothy, a temptation would be youthful passions. And the truth is, though, we all face various passions. For some of us, we're younger, so it's youthful passions. For others, it's other passions, but they're all to be avoided. And so these youthful passions could be many different things, but probably according to this, at least with the context, it may be the tendency for younger people to love to argue. They often rush into heated debates, Uh, headlong with overconfidence and a lack of wisdom Uh, they regularly love novelty and they can be tempted to be unkind and arrogant and reckless with a desire for renown and so these are some of the youthful passions that uh, young people may uh, be tempted with other ones could be mentioned but really the point is flee from them flee run away from them and so maybe you're uh, younger like Timothy or, 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 or me, or maybe you're older. Either way, we have these sinful passions that we must flee from. And so these passions are going to rise up in you at times. And I'm sure you felt them throughout your life, right? It's that when you start to feel like, I really want to lash out at that person right now. That's a passion. That's a sinful passion that the Bible talks about. Right? Or I want to lust, or I want to take that, or I want to respond in this angry way, in this mean way. Right? These are these sinful passions that rise up in us. And the question is, are you going to give in to them, or are you going to flee? Don't toy around with them, right? Flee them. We don't like toy around with them and say, well, it's not too strong in me right now. I'll let it go. No, that's dangerous. We run away, we, we, we run relying on the Spirit to help us because they're dangerous, they can easily overtake us. But you see here, we don't just run away from sin, right? But what do you see? We pursue, so we sort of run towards righteousness. I remember growing up, I grew up in the church, and not this church, but I grew up in, in a church and, and I remember growing up, I would mostly hear about sins to avoid. And we should avoid sin, of course. But I, wouldn't, I would rarely hear, what do we pursue instead? What do we pursue instead? What you see here, he says, don't just flee sin, run to righteousness. The Bible is a both and, not an either or when it comes to sin and righteousness. Right? We, we flee sin, but then we don't just end there. We pursue righteousness. We replace sin with something else, right? Instead of pursuing sin, I'm actually pursuing godliness. He says, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, Paul says. Aim for this. Strive for holiness, for godliness. Seek to do what's right. Seek to trust God more. Seek to be at more peace with others. Seek to love others deeper. And so evaluate your own life. How would you say, and you don't have to answer out loud, of course, but how would you say you are doing with these two aspects? Fleeing sin and pursuing righteousness. I wonder, which one do you tend to neglect more? Which do you tend to neglect more? Do you tend to toy around with your sinful desires too much? You kind of let them go a little bit too long, and, and instead of making a run for it, or maybe for you it's the opposite, is it... You don't necessarily pursue godliness. You just think, oh, it's just going to come naturally. The key is, when I feel this sinful desire rise up in me, I quickly say no, I turn away from it, relying upon God to help me. That is one of the big keys, is instantly, when you feel that, is turn away. Because what happens is, the longer you linger, the stronger it becomes, isn't it? Because then you start... Making excuses, you start thinking ahead, well, maybe a little bit, or it's not that bad, right? When you start to linger, it becomes stronger and stronger. But the key is, I'm going to flee, I'm going to run. Some of you may not be able to run physically, but I sure you hope you run from sin, right? And so I flee from it. And as you think about your day, think about pursuing righteousness. Pray and ask God to help you. Say, I want to pursue loving others deeper today. I want to love my spouse more today. What are some ways that I can do that? I want to be more at peace with my coworkers because it has not been good this past week. What are some ways that I can pursue that this week? And thankfully, we're not alone in this. Timothy isn't alone. All believers are called to do this. Paul says to do this, what? Along with those who call on the Lord from pure heart. We're not alone. Others can help us. Others can encourage us and challenge us on to do this. Right? Because they should be doing the same thing. And so we're all in this together. Pursuing righteousness. Fleeing sin. And so we see generally... Timothy can be a cleansed vessel fit for the master's use by fleeing sin, pursuing righteousness. But here you see, Paul sort of moves on specifically of how uh, Timothy can be a cleansed vessel when it comes to his pastoral role. Verse 23, Paul says, Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. So Timothy must refuse to get involved in these foolish debates. And arguments and disputes. They are foolish. They are ignorant. The word ignorant there is really uneducated, uninstructed. And what happens? They breed quarrels. They give birth to fights. All you have to do is look on social media and you see this everywhere. You see these debates. That what? They breed quarrels. They breed fights. And Paul is saying to Timothy, avoid these. Stay away. The Christian has no place jumping into foolish debates because all they do is cause conflict. Is that really what a Christian should be interested in? Christians are supposed to be peacemakers. We're supposed to be concerned with truth and wisdom, not folly and ignorance. And I see Christians jump into these kind of foolish, ignorant controversies all the time. And you can predict the outcome with almost perfect precision. A conflict breaks out. It ends up in a quarrel. And you see it all the time. And we see Paul saying, no, avoid these things. They are foolish. They are ignorant. Knowing that all they do is breed conflict. It's like uh, the, the images really give birth to. It's like constantly giving birth to conflict after conflict, quarrel after quarrel. And so Timothy is to avoid these and pursue what a pastor ought to be pursuing and being. He reminds us in verse 23 what a pastor must be. He says, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome but kind to everyone able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. And so if you sort of summarize these qualities that a pastor ought to have, is he is to be self-controlled, truth-speaking, and kind. Self-controlled, truth-speaking, and kind. And so you see here, he's to be self-controlled, isn't he? That means he doesn't just... Feel the need that he always has to jump into every little quarrel, every little foolish quarrel. He's able to endure evil patiently so he's not going to lose his temper temper every time something bad happens to him or someone's mean to him. He's truth-speaking so he's able to teach, but also he corrects with gentleness. And he's kind. Right? He's not a fighter. He's not an arguer. Just for argument's sake. He treats people with gentleness. What's interesting is that our world does not view a strong man as gentle, do they? But what does the Bible here say? Hey, it's showing us the opposite, isn't it? It's showing us the opposite. Instead, what is lifted up in our culture is the man who is winning arguments, destroying his opponents. That is what is lifted up often. Because what happens is our culture views gentleness as a weakness in a man. Don't they? Gentleness and kindness are often seen as weakness. But not according to the Lord. According to God, a strong godly man is a gentle, kind, and tender man. He's not weak. But a, a, a kind and tender and gentle man is actually using his strength in a controlled way he is actually using his strength controlling his strength and using it in loving ways that's so what we see especially of course in jesus right he's not out there punching people and 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 saying nasty things he's just gentle and lowly he's meek he's kind he's loving And he, of course, is the ideal man. He's perfect. And so there are going to be those who are false teachers. There are going to be those who say wrong things. But the pastor is somebody who is able to stand up and correct them, what? With gentleness. So he's not harsh. He's not mean. He's not quarrelsome with them. And so we see here in the Bible, here and of course other places, that it truly matters what we say, but it also matters how we say it. it. matters what we say, but it also matters how we say it. You don't say, well, I said the truth, of course, but then you say it in a mean way. No, you're not doing it with gentleness. You're not speaking the truth in love. You see, if someone is merely trying to win others by putting people down, they are not handling people biblically. They are not gentleness in our speech matters it is possible to be bold for the truth and to do it in a gentle way i know that's mind-boggling but it is possible to be bold for the truth and yet do it in a gentle manner and of course this is speaking primarily of what a pastor must do and be but it can apply generally to all believers because He is to be an example of the flock. And so let me ask you, do you speak to people gently? Or are you harsh with them? What about this? Because it's easy maybe out in public, uh, yeah, I'm gentle with people, I'm not harsh. But what about your spouse? What about your kids? Are you gentle with them? Or are you very harsh? Now, at times, of course, there's times to be uh, instructing, and, and as we see here, to instruct in and to correct and to be bold about things, but we can still speak the truth in a gentle and kind way. We don't have to be mean, and we shouldn't be mean and harsh with people. And this is really countercultural, isn't it? Because the people opposing the truth are often what? Harsh and rough. They oppose the truth. They're rough and they're harsh. And so we think, I need to act like them to be successful. I need to battle the way that they're battling so that I can win out. And so what we view is gentleness. We often view gentleness as too weak and it's too soft. That's not going to win an argument. But here's the thing. We aren't set out to win arguments. We are set out to win people to Christ. That's the difference. If you are out to set to win arguments, you will end up being mean and harsh all day long. But if you are set to win people to the truth, I want to win people to Christ, and I'm going to be gentle with them. And I'm going to trust God with the outcome. You see, this kind of uh, manner of gentleness speaking the truth, you have to have a confidence in the truth and you have to have a confidence in God. Because look at the potential outcome of correcting people with gentleness. Verse 25, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. You see this? Gentle correction can play a part in leading people to repentance. And get this, when we seek to do what's right, what are we seeing? People can be saved And so what are we seeing? We get to be an instrument in the Redeemer's hands when we are doing things the right way. Do you see the connection now with the cleansed vessel? If Timothy pursues godliness in his role as pastor, God will use him to impact lives for eternity because he's seeking after what's right whether that be in his, in his general life or even in his role as pastor. God has to work in their hearts though, don't we see that? God has to grant them repentance. God has to soften their hearts. He has to work in their hearts with the Holy Spirit. But God can use our gentle correction as a part of that work. And so what do we see? When it comes to leading people to repentance, leading people to a change of mind and heart, what is the key? It is not the loudness of our speech. It is not the meanness of our speech. It is not the harshness of our speech. It is gentle correction that God uses and works in their hearts to draw them to himself. I remember I think about in Romans, Paul talks about how it's the kindness of God that led us to repent. It is the kind grace of, grace of God that worked in our hearts to lead us to repent of our sin and trust in Christ. And that's what we're seeing here. And so we can be these vessels of grace, these instruments that we gently correct with truth, and God uses that. And He He, he grants them repentance. They come to their senses. They believe in Jesus Christ. And they are free from the trap of the devil. This flips the world's values on its head. It is not roughness but gentleness that God desires and what God uses. And these people recognize the truth. They come to their senses. They escape the snare of the devil. And so what we see is To gently correct people who oppose the truth, we have to remember this reality. The reality is, what are we seeing? The devil is the real enemy. Because what do we see? Those who oppose the truth are captured by him. So who's the real enemy? The devil. These people are victims and they're captured. Of course, they're sinners, of course, so not a victim in the total sense. But they are captured by satan and so other people are actually not the true enemy satan is they're captives of satan they need to come to their senses and really in the greek it's they need to sober up it's like the devil has captured them in his track in his, in his trap and he's sort of like intoxicated them so they are not thinking correctly they're deceived and they're carrying out his bidding that is what the scripture is showing us here And so we need to speak the truth in love and God works in that to break them loose out of this trap. It's amazing what God can do and the amazingness of God's Word that shows us the reality behind what's going on in the world. And it helps frame our thinking that the real enemy is the devil and these people need the truth. They need to see the love of Christ. They need to come to their senses. And only God can do that work, but He uses us uh, to impact others. And so understanding this then, we seek to be a cleansed vessel that the Lord can use. We seek to be that cleansed vessel the Lord can use. And so what do we do? We flee sin. We pursue righteousness. We seek to do what God has called us to do, relying upon His strength. And when you do this, what happens is you become a vessel fit for the Master's use, ready for every good work, and there is nothing like being an instrument in the hands of the Redeemer. There's nothing like it. Because I want you to just imagine the deep sense of joy and fulfillment to play a part in helping to change the direction of someone's life for the better. Imagine the joy and fulfillment that you can play a part that God can use you to change someone's life. Imagine the impact and deep joy when you uplift someone, encourage someone that was so downcast that you thought nothing would work. Imagine being used by God to bring restoration in a marriage. To bring uh, uh, resolution and reconciliation in a conflict between friends or coworkers, and you see this wonderful reconciliation and peace, and you played a small part in that. Imagine the blessing of seeing someone so antagonistic and so against God's word, and they repent they repent. They break free from the Satan's hold and all you did was simply speak the truth in gentleness and God powerfully worked. He used you as a vessel for honorable use. There is nothing like it. There is nothing like serving the King of Kings in His great work in the world and so seek to be a cleansed vessel that God can use. When you look to Christ, you see that He is actually the perfect example of this, isn't He? Because Jesus Christ in His life, He's perfect, clean vessel for honorable use. He was set apart. He perfectly did the work of God, saving us through His death and resurrection. He was the servant of the Lord, patiently enduring evil on the cross, instructing us with gentleness, which led to repentance. He broke us free from Satan's hold so that we could come to the knowledge of the truth. What a Savior that we have and what an honor it is to serve Him as one of His vessels. Let's pray. Your good and gracious Father, we uh, thank You so much for this challenging reminder and yet encouraging to know that You want to use us. We're so thankful that You uh, want to use us for good and beautiful and wonderful things in this world. Thank you so much that we get to play a part in your great work. But I pray that we would strive to turn away from sin and to pursue godliness. Lord, we want to be used by you. I pray that each of us would want even more so, especially after hearing your word, that we would want to be used by you. And I pray that we would seek out ways that we can be used by you and to rely upon you and your strength. Help us to respond to others with truth, of course, but with gentleness. Help us not to just jump into foolish debates, but help us to use wisdom and self-restraint. Help us to handle others with the care and love that You handle us. Because we know that Jesus, He is gentle and lowly. He is meek. And His arms are open to all those who would repent and turn in faith. And I pray that we remember that. And He is our Good Shepherd who cares for us, that even in the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to fear because your, your rod and your staff, they comfort us all along the way. We thank you for being such a great God and for using us. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. We pray that you are encouraged by the service this morning. This has been a program of First Baptist Church of Clearfield which is located at 111 North 2nd Street in Clearfield, Pennsylvania. Our main worship service is on Sunday mornings at 1045 a.m., so come out and join us sometime. If you'd like more information, you can visit our website at fbcclearfield.com. May God grant you grace and peace as you look to Him today.